I want to go to heaven. But there's no way that I can get to heaven on my own. Thankfully, I have a Lord who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John chapter 14 and verse 6. And so following his way, the way of Christ, is the way that will lead to heaven. But that said, following the way of Christ is not always easy, is it? We know it's the best way, but it's not always the easy way. And 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21 is one of those passages of Scripture that we sometimes like to think of, of part of, but sometimes we don't really think of the context in which it's found. The part of that context, the part of that passage we like so very much, is where Peter told us that we're to follow in the steps of Jesus. You, he left you an example so that you might follow in his steps. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. We know that statement is true all the way around. Everything Jesus did, we should strive to do to the best of our ability. We should follow in his example every, every way we possibly can. But you may remember that in the context when Peter wrote that, Peter was saying that suffering is part of that way. It's part of the way in which we are following. And literally in the context, he was speaking to how servants or slaves were to deal with their masters in the will of God. They were to deal with their masters with all respect. Verse 18 of that chapter had said, now we don't have in our culture, thankfully, slavery in that way anymore. We should be grateful for that. But we still need to understand that suffering and difficulties will continue to be a part of our life, even if we are faithful and sometimes because we are faithful. It may be simply an unkind word. It may be treated as odd or outcast because of our beliefs, but we need to recognize that the way our culture seems to be going, it could be far more, far worse, and maybe quite soon. How then can we make it as faithful Christians in the midst of a crooked world, in a world where the road just does not seem to ever be straight? How can we remain faithful How can we make certain that we have that hope of our heavenly home and reach there? The answer simply is we follow Jesus in every circumstance. This morning, I want us to look at a very familiar passage, but one that I hope will shed a little bit more light on. Just because a passage is familiar, we don't need to close our ears to it. In fact, sometimes the passages we know the best are the ones we need to dig into more deeply to see what is really there. The passage we're going to think about is found in Matthew chapter 25. If you'll turn your Bibles to that chapter. I know it's not what the scripture reading was this morning, but uh, I'm the substitute preacher today. Uh, I got a text. That, I actually got a text at 326 this morning. To say I didn't see it at 326 this morning would be an understatement. Uh, I saw it at 603 this morning uh, that Tyler was not feeling well at all, and he's home very, very sick and asked if I'd fill in. So you've, you've got the substitute preacher today. Uh, so that's why the, the scripture reading didn't fit this morning, but I was thinking the songs fit perfectly, absolutely perfectly with what we're going to be thinking about. But it's a passage we know at the end of Matthew chapter 25 of where Jesus begins to talk about a picture of judgment. But keep in mind, though, that that story, that, that, uh, that picture, I should say, comes at the heel or comes at the end of a long line of teaching about the second coming. We're not going to read all these verses, but I want you to see the context in which it's found. The, in Matthew chapter 24... You may remember the apostles had pointed to the beautiful uh, structure of the temple. And Jesus used their curiosity to point out a major truth. They asked in verse 3 of Matthew 24, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so Jesus begins to answer what they thought was one question, but really became more than one question. 
or a two-part question, we might say. And so in chapter 24, from verse 4 all the way through verse 35, Jesus spoke specifically about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And he pointed out, down in verse 34, that that would happen during their generation, during their lifetime. And we know from history that occurred in the year 70 A.D. The temple was utterly destroyed. But it's interesting, historians tell us that because of these teachings of Jesus, no Christian, not one, died when Jerusalem was destroyed because they heard these teachings of Christ. They knew what he meant to look for these things and to run when Jerusalem was being attacked. And then starting in verse 36, Jesus turns to their second question, or the the second part of their question concerning the close of the age. And he says, but concerning that day and that hour... No one knows. And he warned that just as the flood overtook those who were unprepared back in the day of Noah, so the second coming would come also without warning. And for the rest of chapter 24 and all of chapter 25 then, Jesus preaches being prepared for that day, whenever that day might come. And to do that, in Matthew chapter 25, he shares two parables and one picture. Parable number one is the story of the wise and the foolish virgins, the ten virgins. There were five who were wise, prepared. There were five who were foolish, who were unprepared. And you remember that while the foolish ones were trying to to make up for their mistake of being unprepared, the door was shut. There was no more opportunity to make things right. And the parable ends with very sobering and very powerful words. Watch, therefore, verse 13, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Parable number two is probably the one that's more well known to us. And it's the story of the talents. You remember that the good and faithful servants who built more wealth because of what their master gave to them and their good work. And they didn't know when he would return. They just knew he would return. So they went to work and and doubled their talents. But you remember there's also that one talent man we sometimes focus on, the, the, the wicked and lazy servant who did nothing with the talent that he was given. Even though he didn't know when the master would return, he still knew the master returned, but he did nothing with it. It may be an overstatement a little bit, but it's interesting to think about. It's possible that the first of those two parables could be speaking about those who hear about Christ and yet never obey. And finally the door is shut on that opportunity. While the second of those two parables could be about those who hear about Christ, begin to obey Christ, but then become lazy or apathetic in their faith. And don't really take it to heart that Christ really will return. They'll be lost more for their laziness than for their willingness to to listen and to obey. And so you have two parables, and then you have a picture. And the screen should say verses 31 through 46 instead of 41 through 46. But it's this picture where Jesus ties all of this together, and he shows that being faithful is about far more than just being baptized It's about far more than just having your name on a church roll somewhere. It's about working constantly to help others be the shining light of Christ. I want us to take a moment, if you will, with me. And I want us to read this entire context, beginning in verse 31 of Matthew chapter 25. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations... And he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. 
I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not visit me, or clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these... You did not do it to me. And these will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And as I said, I think most of us know that passage, or at least can summarize it. But this morning what I want to do is show you something that, that hopefully builds in your heart a greater appreciation not just for this text and our responsibilities that are found in it, but a greater respect for Christ himself. And here's the point of the whole sermon. Here it is. Each of the six things that Jesus talks about in this text that were done to others, Christ has already done for us. And He has done them to the highest level. He has set the example for us. And so we're calling our lesson this morning, Follow His Steps to Glory. Because if I want to go to heaven, all I must do is follow Him who is the way in the ways that He describes in Matthew chapter 25. For example... Jesus said, I was hungry, and you gave me food. Now, we could look at the stories, of course, found in the life of Christ, where go, go to the little route and say, well, obviously Jesus brought people food. I mean, he fed 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. He fed 4,000 people sometime later, a small amount of food. and The people left completely satisfied. In fact, there were leftovers, right? Twelve baskets and seven baskets. But that, that's not what I want to emphasize. And the reason, very simply, I don't want to emphasize that is because that's not the same way Christ operates now. We don't live in that age of miracles. We're not going to go home and find that one loaf of bread that was on our counter all of a sudden has turned into 20 just because we were at church this morning and we were faithful. We've got the K6 devotionals now. I wish that one hot dog bun would just multiply. Make it a whole lot easier to get ready for it, right? Make it a whole lot easier. But instead, I want you to see that when Jesus gives, Jesus satisfies our deepest needs. Turn to John chapter 6. We're really done, Matthew chapter 25. We're going to turn into several other passages this morning. Turn to John chapter 6. The beginning of that chapter is the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. But it leads to a conversation the next day that we need to consider. People came to Jesus. And in John 6 verse 36, He told them that they came because of the loaves. They came because He performed this miracle. He gave them food. So why not keep following? Why not come to see another miracle or just to get more food? In other words, they were thinking more about the physical than about anything else. And so Jesus tells them in verse 27, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. Now we might summarize that and basically say that the Lord was trying to get them to think more about the spiritual realm than just about the physical realm, about them getting food. But as that conversation continues, Jesus draws a comparison, you remember, with the manna of the Old Testament that God provided in the wilderness to what the Lord now provides through Christ himself. And notice what Jesus says in verse 35. I am 
the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus told us in Matthew 25 that when we see someone hungry, we need to be willing to give them food, physical food. That's literal. We need to be willing to to meet those physical needs such as that. But Jesus meets not just our physical needs. Jesus meets the deepest needs that we have. I am the bread of life. Folks, when we were hungry, spiritually, Jesus didn't just give us a snack. Jesus fed us. I am the bread of life. And so... We simply follow His steps to glory. Yes, we need to give people food when they're hungry. But what do people need more? They need the bread of life. They need Christ. And then Jesus said, I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. Giving a drink to those who were in need. Have you ever been thirsty before? I mean, I'm not talking about that feeling we all get, you know, or it would be nice to run by a water fountain, which some of you may be wanting to do right now. I don't know. Not, not that kind of thirst. I'm talking about desperately thirsty, where it can even be possibly life-threatening if your bodies are not getting the water they need to just have the, the functions of life going on. I don't know. I've never been anywhere near that thirsty. I've been thirsty, but never that thirsty. But I can imagine much being more desperate feeling than that, where just... A drink feels like it would change your whole life. Now, there was a time in the life of Christ where he thirsted, it seems, to that level, of course, from the cross where he said, I thirst. But there's another time where the Lord again shows us that we need to meet the deepest needs of people. If you're still in the gospel according to John, turn back a page or two to John chapter 4. Because in John chapter 4, Jesus speaks to that woman at the well. Sometimes we simply call her the Samaritan woman. And Jesus requests of her to get a drink from that well. Would you draw some water so I can get something to drink? And she, as a Samaritan and as a woman, is confused by all this. How can you have dealings with me? And begins a very important conversation, one that's more important than she would have ever dreamed when she came to that well that morning. And again, this woman begins to struggle to see the spiritual that Jesus keeps trying to point her to in the conversation. But then Jesus says in John chapter 4, Beginning in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water, that is the water drawn from the well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Yes, there are places in our world, maybe in our own culture, where people need physical water. That most basic of all necessities of life. And Christians should be willing to try to to do that as much as we possibly can, to give water to those who are in need. But our Lord sees not just the physical. Jesus meets the deepest of needs. And so, when we were thirsty, Jesus satisfied. When we were thirsty spiritually, Jesus ultimately satisfied. We can give people a drink. And that's wonderful, we should. But we need to give people more what their souls are most thirsting for, a relationship with Christ. And so, we follow His steps to glory. And then Jesus says, I was a stranger, and you took me in. In other words, there is a welcoming, a relationship-building aspect to this judgment scene that He's talking about. Heaven, heaven is not just for those who are friendly with our little circle of friends. Heaven is for those who reach out to strangers, try to provide them comfort and strength in life, and try to bring them in. Now, we may think that there's no real parallel here to what Christ has done for us. After all, 
we have friends, at least a few, right? We, we're welcomed by people in this world. Most of us realize that we can go almost anywhere in the world and have someone we have a connection with. We always, in my family, we always killed my dad when we were growing up. We always said we couldn't go anywhere without dad knowing somebody. He was, oh, that's just not true. That He finally gave in. When we were in the basement of what was then known as the Sears Tower, and somebody across the basement went, Jim Fawn! He finally said, okay. He looked at us for he answered, okay, I get it now. He, we can't go anywhere without somebody knowing him. And because of that, we said, well, we, we don't have, we're not strangers. not we strangers anywhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we are. You're still in John? Turn to John chapter 10. Because in John chapter 10, Jesus describes himself in two different ways. They're related ways. In John 10 and verse 7, he says, I am the door of the sheep, or the door to the sheepfold. And then down in John 10 and verse 11, he said, I am the good shepherd. You see in those pictures a welcoming relationship, a relationship building aspect. And in fact, listen to what Jesus says as he expands upon those descriptions. In John 10 beginning in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. You see, those who are outside, those who are strangers, are brought near into a loving relationship with God because of Christ. Our lives need to be built on doing good as we have opportunity. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. And yes, the verse does go on to say, especially to those who are of the household of faith. But the verse does not say only to those who are of the household of faith. We must love strangers. In fact, that's one of the qualifications of an elder, one who loves others. We we must seek to encourage them, take them in, because we were lost and we were outside of Christ. We were strangers. We were exiles. But Christ met our deepest need. He brought us in, and so we follow His steps to glory. And then Christ says, I was naked and you gave me clothing. This may be, of all the pictures found in Matthew 25, the one that is most embarrassing for someone to admit. We live in a culture where immodesty reigns, but there's still something embarrassing about admitting that you you don't have clothes. And I'm not just talking about not having something appropriate. For example, you get called to to the White House to a dinner and you don't have a tuxedo. I I wouldn't have that either, Kyle. No, No way could I possibly have that in my closet, right? But we're talking about those people who struggle just to have adequate clothing to keep their bodies safe from the weather and other elements, to be protective. There may be some who struggle with that in the past in our culture, but for the most part, clothing can be found. It may not always be the, the height of fashion, but there are places in the world where just to have something to keep yourself away from the weather, a, a coat, a warm pair of pants would mean the world to someone. But remember, Christ wants us to help people in the most important of ways. He wants to help us in the most important of ways. So how, how can we compare him asking us to give clothing to what he has done for us. And the answer is found in Romans chapter 13, verse 14, where Paul said we are to put on Christ. The word translated put on in that verse literally means to sink into or to clothe oneself. Just as you might sink yourself into a pair of pants or you might sink into a pair of shorts this afternoon to lounge around the house, we sink ourselves into Jesus Christ. And by the way, just for your own Bible study sometime, that same word is found in Ephesians chapter 6. We are to put on the whole armor of God. It's the same word. Before Christ, I was exposed to sin. 
we, were, we should be filled with shame when that happens. But thanks be to God, we can be clothed in Christ. He meets our deepest needs. And so we follow His steps to glory as we seek to give clothes, but also as we seek to help people become clothed in Christ. Our Lord then said, I was sick, and you visited me. If there is any act of kindness that Christians are known for, it is being kind and helpful to those who are sick or having some other physical need, recovering from surgery or something along those lines. When someone here has a surgery, Christy will tell you our phones ring off the hook and text messages come in over and over. Can you give us an update? Can you let us know? Because we care. We want to know what to do, how we can pray, and the, the acts we can do, and so on and so forth. And really then should come as no surprise that Jesus states that those who enter heaven visited him when he was sick by being with others when they were sick. But the word visited in this context literally means to examine upon. It carries with it the idea of looking after someone to their benefit. It could be a house call, a literal visit. It could be an act of service. It could be a prayer, a deep, fervent prayer. But it's looking after that person's needs in whatever way we possibly can. Jesus is always with us. If we are faithful, Matthew 28 and verse 20 makes that clear. But I think most Christians, a lot of Christians, I should say, feel especially close to the Lord when we're hurting in some physical way and we cry out to Him in prayer. We, we, we know He's there. But Jesus wants to meet our deepest needs. And so you have an account in Mark chapter 2 of the man let down through the roof by four friends in the first 12 verses of that chapter. And you remember the Lord heals the man. But before He heals the man, you remember in verse 5 of that text, He says... Son, your sins are forgiven. Wait, I thought this man needed physical healing. I thought he needed to walk. Well, it would be nice, but Jesus realized there's something much more important than the ability to walk. This man needed his sins forgiven. And so to prove a lot of points, but one was that Jesus wanted to meet the deepest needs of this man. Jesus came to be the great physician, the one who heals the needs we could not take care of on our own. Yes, We need to see to the needs of those who are sick as much as we possibly can. But Jesus meets our deepest needs. And so we follow his steps to glory. And then finally, Jesus speaks of, I was in prison and you came to me or you visited me. Prison can be a lonely place. Any kind of rehabilitation center, prison or drug rehab or whatever, it can be lonely, it can be overwhelming. Those who are in such places need, need all the encouragement Christians can give. And we cannot always visit literally because of certain uh, protocol and circumstances, but letters or correspondence can mean the world to those who are, as it were, away from society. But how does that relate with what Jesus did to us? You still in John? Turn to John chapter 8. Probably the most famous verse in that chapter It's John 8 and verse 32, where Jesus said, You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. But I want you to see that that statement leads to something that's more expansive that Jesus would say. In John 8, begin reading with me in verse 34, and read through verse 36. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free Indeed. What did Jesus do for us? He set us free from the prison of sin. A prison out of which we never could have escaped without Him. He came to set the captive free. That was part of the prophecy of Isaiah speaking about. He came to set uh, set, set captives to liberty. 
We need to see to the needs of those who are physically in prison or other centers such as that. But Christ sees our deepest need. He set us free from the prison of sin. And so we need to tell people about that as well. And so we follow His steps to glory. I want to go to heaven. I know you do as well. But to do that, I must follow in the steps of Jesus. Following His steps to glory. I was hungry and He brought me the bread of life. And so, when I see someone physically hungry, I hope I can meet that need. But everyone in this world needs the bread of life. And so we must give them that. I was thirsty. And He brought me living water. And so, yes, when I see someone who needs literally a drink of water, I need to try to see to that need. But far more, I need to point them to the one who provides that living water. I was a stranger. And yet He knows my name. And gives me a relationship to the good shepherd By being the good shepherd, I should say. And so I need to welcome those who may be outside and try to encourage them, but far more, I need to bring them to the greatest friend they could ever know, and that is Christ. I was naked and exposed in my sin, but He came to allow me to put Him on to escape that shame. And so, when I see someone who is naked, I'll try to clothe them, but far more, I want them to be clothed in Christ. I was sin-sick. And yet the great physician healed me. And so when I see someone who's sick, I want to help, pray, visit, whatever I can. But far more, I want to help people find the healing that only He can provide for their soul. And I was lost in the prison house of sin. And He came to make me truly free. And so yes, I need to write letters or visit or whatever I can do. Pray for those who are in prison or other centers such as that. But more than that, I need to help them see there's one who can ultimately set them free. Maybe not from the bars of a prison house, but from eternity in hell. You see, Jesus did not just tell us what to do to inherit eternal life. Oh, He did. He told us what to do. But more than that, He already walked the path that we are to follow. And so is it any wonder then that it would be James, the half-brother of our Lord, who would be the one, by inspiration, who would echo some of these thoughts in the book we sometimes call the Handbook of Christianity, in the book of James, when he said, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the needs for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. I know each of us in here wants to go to heaven. And because of that, we don't just need to, to talk about good works. We don't just need to believe that I just need to do good works. I must do good works. I need to show my faith through my works In other words, I follow in the steps of Jesus because He has already walked the path that we are to follow. He said, I am the way. And if you do, if you will walk in that same path, if you will follow His steps, we know the words that He will say to us, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. It's all about perspective. Am I struggling like those 
that Jesus spoke with to only see the physical. Is it important we meet the physical needs of people? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I need to look beyond that. I don't need to do good works just because, just because I'm doing good works. I don't need to do good works because I'm trying to, to outdo somebody else in doing good works. I don't need to do good works just because, well, we live in this community and a lot of people do good things. That's wonderful. I need to do good works to point people to Christ. Isn't that what he himself said? Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. How can they give glory to the Father in heaven if we never tell them about him? And so we feed, we give water, we visit, we clothe, we do all the things Jesus said, never for our own glory but in the name of Christ, following His example every step of the way, right into glory. That's the way I want to live my life, isn't it you? Isn't that the way you want to live your life? Following in His footsteps. He's already laid the path out. But that path isn't always easy. His path included Calvary. And so part of our path is take up your cross And follow me. This morning, do you need to go to where Jesus suffered for you in your place so that you can have your sins washed away in the waters of baptism and rise to walk that new life, to rise to follow him, follow in his steps? We would love nothing more this morning to baptize you into Christ if you've never been baptized, become a Christian, the way the Bible tells us we must. This morning, brother or sister in Christ, are you living in such a way that really is following in the footsteps of Jesus? Are you living in such a way that where people know not just, oh, there's someone who do, does good stuff. No, 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 no. They know there's someone who does good stuff, but they do it because they love God so much. And the light of Christ just shines through our lives. Is that the way you're living your life? This morning, maybe it's not. And you want us to pray with you, to encourage you, ask for prayers, forgiveness in your behalf. We would love to do that if that's your desire. Whatever your need is this morning, we invite you to come while we stand and sing to encourage you.